Please turn with me this morning to John chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 12 and move through to verse 25 this morning. We're going to be discussing the idea of how we should act as Christians and then as as a result how the world will respond to us and and some of the issues therein. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord quickly and ask for his help with this passage. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would guide us through it, that you would um, strike down any notions that we have that we can somehow manipulate your word or read it in such a way to make us be glorified, to make us seem righteous in our own eyes, convict us of that sin so that we might serve you, open our eyes that we might hear, open our hearts so that we can understand the wisdom and the glory in this word. It's in your name we pray, amen. As I considered this text this week and the many incidents around our country, uh, race-related type issues that are going on, uh, even considering the things that are going on around the world with the different uh, religious factions who are uh, causing some, some problems, to say it lightly, around the world, it made me think about this idea of persecution and discrimination, which are very hot topics in our own country and in the news, and it caused me to think about my own tendencies towards prejudice and towards discrimination. I think, I'd like to think that I give all people an equal shot until I get to know them, because I, but because I'm human, I, I don't. I think every human here who isn't lying to themselves or others has some predisposed prejudices that we apply categories. We make categories of people, right? We have black, white, rich, poor, fast food worker, Walmart cashier, teacher, man wearing a ski mask that walks into a gas station. We have these categories, and what do they do? They keep us safe. They help us to quickly discern the world around us. I walk into pockets to get a Mountain Dew, a man walks in with a ski mask. I don't go to greet him. All right. I don't even have to know who he is. I don't want to know who he is. I want to leave. All right. That is a safe category that I've created. All right. Well, these categories again are good things. However, since 99% of the time, thankfully, we aren't in that survival mode, these categories that we create can often be seen as and often cause us to discriminate. I think we all understand that. That's a natural tendency of humanity, and we have to fight against that. That's fine. Our government took action against this to alleviate this for potential employees. Uh, they called it the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and their job was to make sure everyone is given a fair shot, regardless of race and social status or gender or religion or whatever. And so, for instance, now it's illegal to ask someone what their religion is or what their skin color is on an application. That's good. We don't need to know that to hire somebody, or at least 
I would say 99.9% of the time. That's a good thing. However, we're going to look in this text today, and we're going to see that Jesus unequivocally and openly puts people into two basic groups. And he says that those two groups have an extreme prejudice towards one another, even if they don't know it. He's very plain about it. He makes the claim, again, that there are these two groups, his people that he came to save, and the world, everyone else. His people love him, the world hates him. He makes no distinction or no middle ground there. And he also says that the world will hate his people because they first hated him. We've seen this play out in the history of our world. Christians were slaughtered in the first three, first three centuries A.D. simply for professing Christ. And it wasn't that Christians were particularly unpleasant people. They were considered very helpful during that time of history. They were generally well thought of, but they were generally sought out and killed. And it got better, and it hasn't always been that way, thankfully. It's, it's mostly been good, but Christians aren't always good either. Some so-called Christians have been known to make war and needlessly kill others and for their own prejudices or in the name of the church have done stupid things like picket funerals and that kind of thing, and you've all seen this in the news. But thankfully for the church today in, in our country, most of us don't really deal with anything more than kind of silly name-calling from, uh, from non-believers some Christians have lost their jobs for their beliefs, and that's becoming a, uh, an important thing. However, there may be a time in our lifetimes, in our kids' lifetimes, when real persecution, the life and death kind, is a thing that Christians have to consider, like our brothers and sisters do in, the other, in other parts of the world every day. And so as we consider this passage, I want us to consider what, how we should act how we are called to act as believers, and then how we should respond to the fact that the world doesn't, doesn't like us, and then why they don't like us. And so we're going to look at this on a few fronts again, how we should live, how the world feels about their creator and his followers, and then lastly again, how we should live in response to that. So as we go to the text, let's stand together and read it. John 15, verses 12 through... 25. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all... For all that have heard from my father, I, for all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sins. Whoever hates me hates my father also. I had not done, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sins, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Amen. This is God's word. And be seated. So quickly, remember last week we talked about the idea of Jesus claiming to be divine, saying that we, his people, are the branches, or that the branches were the visible church, and that those branches who abide, who remain in him, are his people. And to abide in Christ means to do what he says. Well, we're going to go into that a little more today as he begins here in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is not a new thing. Even in this same discourse among his followers, chapter 13, we, we read the same idea. What did he say? I have a new commandment, that you love one another. And by this, the world will know that you are my followers, if you love one another. Loving one another, I think, is a great single-sentence explanation as to how we should treat one another in Christ, or treat the world for that matter. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. This has been something that had been taught since the days of Moses. You can see in Leviticus 19, Jesus isn't quoting something new. When he says, a new commandment I give to you, he's not making something new up, but in the light of the fact that the lawgiver is now sitting there, it has a brand new meaning now. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can see this anew. We get a new picture of the type of love that Christ would require of us. And he kind of alludes to that in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I mean, basically think of it this way. Christ is saying, if you think your love is great for me, you think your love is great for others, this is the greatest kind of love that you would lay down your life for his friend, for your friends. Even unbelievers understand this idea. This is one of the most quoted verses in Scripture. You see this tattooed on people. They, they, they like it. The idea of self-sacrifice is honored. It's praised. I mean, we even have holidays in our country, and we're not the only country that has those type of holidays. Who are we celebrating when we celebrate self-sacrifice? It's all around this room. We're celebrating our military, the men and women who have fought and died so that you and I can stand here and have church. It's a good thing. Right? We, we honor that. We, we praise that. We see that as a, as a very good thing. But we don't get a love 
that Christ had for us. It's even greater than this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 quickly. Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. Is that what Jesus did? Let's look at Romans 5, starting at verse 7. For one will scarcely die. Well, actually, let's start at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare die. But our God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed his love for us even in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So are we friends of God when he died for us? No. We were his enemies. We were ungodly. We were sinners. So if we want to gauge the kind of love that we are being called to, this is a love that we aren't capable of. Loving our enemies so much that we would die for them. Only Christ can do that. However, in all that we do, we should know that we are called to, to love one another, to love others with this great love. that This self-sacrificing, this even love for our enemies, this care for one another. And I think it brings up a good point. You know, who are the friends of Christ? And I think Jesus makes some real juxtapositions in this passage, you know, setting two things vastly apart from one another. Because at first, we were what? Of Christ. We were enemies. But what does he call us now? Friends. And if we are friends as believers, what does he command us to do? The verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And again, you've heard me say this, and it bears repeating often, that we not only find the commandments of Jesus in the four Gospels, in the red words, but we find his words starting at Genesis 1 and ending in the Revelation. They are all his words because he is the creator. Therefore, they are all his commands. We don't get to pick and choose we don't get to define what his commands are or to what degree we'd like to follow them. He, our Lord Jesus, is the lawgiver. And his friends follow his laws. His enemies do not. And again, we quoted from the larger catechism today that reiterated this. We understand that it isn't the doing of these commands that saves us. And so make sure we're making that distinction. He saves us. We just got the reading. When does he save us? When we're lawbreakers. When we are sinners, he saves us. While we were enemies, through grace, through his mercy for us. However, now as his friends, we are called to do what he says. Make sure you understand that I'm not talking about two different things here. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
we are now his friends because of that, and now as his friends, we do what he commands us to do. If we weren't say if we weren't saved through following the law, then why would we think that we could somehow lose our relationship with him through not following the law? And so make sure we understand that. We're not saved through following the law, and so it's not that we just stop becoming his friends because we are we have trouble following the law. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I think this is an important point because a lot of people will read this and say, my friends, do what I command, and then they'll get so caught up in the commands that they feel guilty and it causes them to think that they're no longer his friends anymore. That's not what's going on here. We are his friends because he saved us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The Galatians had a hard time with this. They had a hard time with this. So Paul is setting them straight here. Oh, foolish Galatians. It's a fun greeting. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So what's Paul saying? Well, you got the idea that you were saved by grace, but now do you think that somehow you have to keep your salvation by doing what he says? That's not going, what's going on here. However, we are to do what he commands. And so the next he sets apart this idea of friends and servants. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends... For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. A servant, think of the nature of a servant. A servant does not know the business of the master. The master keeps his internal affairs secret from the servant because it frankly doesn't pertain to them. They're servants. The master's business does not pertain to the servants. But the master has done what? Made us friends. So in Christ, we now know what the Master is doing. How do we know what the Master is doing? He told us. And he had it written down. And this is it. This is what he's doing. This is what he has done. And this is in its entirety as well. You are not being told secrets by the Lord that no one has ever heard. You're not receiving a special revelation in addition to the scriptures. None of that's going on. This is what he is doing. You are not receiving some sort of special instructions. I recently heard a conversation of a Christian who believed he was being told something secret and he was receiving some kind of special teaching outside of the pages of scripture. It's not going on. They haven't done that. John Owen, a Puritan theologian, said this. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said this, If private revelations agree with Scripture, they are unnecessary. And if they disagree, they are false. We have everything we need right here. This is what our Master is doing. 
We don't need some sort of special instruction that no one else has ever heard before. We don't need some sort of new information, some sort of new thing, new teaching. It's not out there. There's nothing new. If it's something new, it's wrong. That's just a real plain thing. We know what the Master is doing. We are his friends. He's given us exactly the information that we need to first do what? Find salvation. It's here and only here. We find salvation in this text. Next, we need to know how to love him. We need to know about him. Where do we find that? It's right here. We need to know how to do his commands. Where are they? They're here. Now, do we need to know things about crazy Bible codes and end times weirdness? No. Did he tell us when he's coming back? No. So do we need to know that? No. He doesn't have to tell us everything, and that's okay. But the things we need to know, they're here. And that's enough for us. It should be enough for us, brothers and sisters. And next, he says that we are chosen. He says in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to that you should go and bear fruit. I don't want to spend a ton of time here. I think the gospel uh, stated earlier that we've talked about is, is very clear. We are enemies to Christ. He died for us, making us his friends through his grace and mercy. And so why would we ever think at any time that we, as his enemies, would be the one who would initiate some sort of relationship with him as his enemies? Why would the enemies of the Creator be calling out to Him? It doesn't make sense. Jesus makes two people here, His enemies, His friends. His friends are His friends because He has called them. His enemies are His enemies because He has not. And that's it. He does not... His enemies do not call upon Him outside of His own initiation with them. And I think when you understand, like we read from the uh, catechism earlier, when you understand that you are dead in your sins, enemies of your creator, and deserving hell, then you absolutely have no problem with this idea that Jesus chose you out of those enemies in order to be his. However, when we begin to think that our God is something that we can pick and choose, like we choose a toothbrush at Walmart, What's that called? That's called idolatry, is what that's called. You don't want to worship a God who's just waiting for his enemies to call out to him. That doesn't make any sense. The one true God knows that that will never happen outside of his own intervention. And so, when he chose us, what did he choose us? He said, I choose you, and you will now be my friends. You will now go and do as I have told you to do. Where have we read this before? Remember Ezekiel 36. What did he say? I will put my spirit in you, and you will. it will cause you to go and walk in my ways, to bear fruit. And again, we're given the reminder that when we do these things, what does he say? That when you abide in me, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. These things I command so that you will love one another. When we are following him, we will know what to ask for and when to ask for it. We will know, what did he say? We will know what the master is doing. 
if we know what the master is doing, we're probably not going to ask for a new houseboat. Because that's probably not in the master's plans. It might be, I don't know, but likely not. All right? We will ask for things in order to do what? The master's work. And so all in all, we are given these commandments so that we will do what? How could we sum this up? Well, Jesus does it there in verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He's teaching us to love one another, to treat one another in the church as we should, to treat our enemies as we should. And how should they respond? How do you typically respond when someone treats you with love? Think about it. How would you respond? Well, we normally respond well to that. You would think that if we are demonstrating this type of love to the world, that it would respond with gratitude, right? That they will love us, they will love our Lord Jesus because they love us, and everything will be great. And this happens sometimes, does it not? It absolutely happens sometimes. I have helped people, I have, I have loved people, and they have come around to understand that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. Not because of the love that I have for them, again, because Jesus did that, but Jesus used that in order to show them, wow, this Christianity thing's a good thing. But we know that it doesn't always happen that way. That brings us to the next point, the world's view of their creator. And notice how Jesus starts this next sentence in verse 18. If the, world's ha if the world hates you, should the world hate us? No, we should be loving them. And we should do that, even if they do hate us. But why will they hate us still? He tells us. No that it has hated me before it hated you. What does the world love? Nothing, really. It loves its own, sometimes. But again, what are we, we are told what about ourselves? We are chosen out of the world. We are taken out as haters of God, and we are made friends of God. Now the world hates us. And why do they hate us? First, I think it's important to note that we need to make sure that the world hates us because of Jesus. Jesus says the world hates us because of him, not because we go and act like idiots. That's important. It's not persecution to go and cause public disturbance and then get arrested for it. That you're not being persecuted for doing that. When you see Christians, and I, you've seen this on the news, I know I haven't, it infuriates me. When you see Christians, or so-called Christians, going out and getting arrested for breaking the law, they're not being persecuted. They're being legally dealt with at that point. Sure, there are times when a Christian should break the law. And when should we do that? When the civil law that we are being told to, to uh, act upon somehow contradicts with Scripture. Yes, at that point we should civilly disobey. But let's be frank. How many times are we asked to do that right now in this country? Not often, thankfully. It's good. When a Christian marches through a peaceful parade of people that he disagrees with, mind you, but still a peaceful parade and yells at people and blocks them and pushes them down and gets arrested, that's not persecution. That's justice. I want that man arrested. All right? You don't get to act like that. So... Again, let's make sure we understand what persecution is. He's not being hated because he's a Christian. He's being hated because he's a dummy. 
and that's okay. So, why does the world hate us? It hates us because of Jesus. What does Jesus says? say? They will persecute you. Why? On account of his name. And why? What name is that? The only name by which man can be saved. Does the world want to hear that? No, they do not. Because they think they can save themselves. They think the name that they can save themselves by is the one that is on their driver's license. Not the name of Jesus. If Jesus hadn't come and brought us his word and come and did the things that he did, they would not know of their sin. They would not know of their need for him. But now they know. The world knows about Jesus. They know who he claims to be. They know his word. And they are absolutely without excuse. They know the creator. They know that he demands that they fall on their face in repentance and worship him. And they don't want to, so they're angry. They hate the creator, just like we hated our creator. And anyone who believes that, and especially anyone who preaches that to them, they're going to hate them too. And you have to understand, that's what's going on here. Why did the early church get killed by Rome? Because Rome didn't want to believe that there was a God greater than the one that they worshipped. And so they killed them all. That's what's going on here. I have good friends who aren't Christians. So let's be clear here. I have really good friends that aren't Christians. And they don't hate me. I played games with a lot of them this weekend. They don't hate me at all. They're nice people. They're good husbands. They're good dads. They're good employees. They care about people. They treat people better than I do sometimes. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the ultimate state of things. Hopefully you've seen so far there's no middle ground with our Lord Jesus. You're either with him or against him. You're either his enemy or his friend. There is no undecided. Those who are not his hate him. They're against him. They may not voice it. They may not act like it. We're not going to just see people throwing things all over the place. That's not what's going on. But to deny the creator of all things... And his word as truth is to do so as his enemy. And to be his enemy is to be in the worst spot you could possibly be in because he is the Lord of all. And he, he cares for his friends and he hates his enemies. Many enemies of Christ will die. Great people on this earth. But will go to hell as his enemies because they never called upon the name of the Lord in repentance for their sins. They never committed to the grace that Jesus offers freely to those who call upon him. And so before you begin thinking that this is the least bit unfair, remember the trial of Jesus that we'll study soon. What did Jesus do to deserve death? Nothing. Why did the Jew Jewish leadership and the people desperately want to crucify him? What did Jesus say there in verse 25? They hated me without a cause. He's quoting from Psalm 35. I encourage you to study that this week. It's a great, it's a great psalm. This, this hate that the world has for Jesus and his followers is deeper 
than our actions, than their actions. It has to do with eternity. So understand that. And so how should we live in light of that? We should live just like we're told to do. We should love one another. We should love our neighbor as ourselves. This applies obviously to the church. We should love each other in the church, and I think we have an easy time at that most of the time. Sharing in the bonds of fellowship, rejoicing in the shared salvation that we have with one another. This is a really good thing. However, we are to love the world too, that they may see and know who our Lord is. Turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Verses 27 through 36. And I love this passage. Consider our Lord Jesus and his enemies. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I love that. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Brothers and sisters, aren't we glad? How can they know the love of Jesus, who loved his enemies while they were yet sinners? Unless we are showing them that kind of love. How can we know that? How can we love them like Jesus? Unless we are showing them the kind of love that he showed. And it won't be easy. But this is what we're called to do. I think particularly of you know, this, this election season, all of this turmoil that's going on in our government and our, our country and the craziness that's on the news. And just think of everything that's crazy and all the different opinions that are out there that are associated with that. We could use this as an opportunity to kind of hold up and only be around those people that love us and do good to us. But Jesus says, what benefit is that to us? Even sinners do that. And so I think this presents for us a great opportunity to talk about these issues in a gracious way, to love people even though we disagree with them, because we will probably, because what's going on? Do, does everyone love people that way? No. Just watch the news. People hate anyone that disagrees with them. That's just the norm in our society. Let's not do that. Why should we do that? We are friends of the Most High. 
We don't have to do that. And so let us endeavor to always tell others about this, about our Lord Jesus and this gospel, that even though this message of enemy of the enemies of Christ and the and the hate that they have for the believers, what's going on here? What's the gospel? That even while they were enemies, even while they were haters of their creator, if they call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And how are they going to hear? Well, faith comes by hearing, is what we hear in Romans. And how are they going to hear if we don't have a preacher? And so let us, his people, go out to them, telling them this gospel that we have been so blessed with. Let's close. Lord Jesus, help us to do this because it is hard. It must have been hard for you to hang on the cross for me, much less the other sinful people in this world. But help us to love people like you did, that even while we were yet sinners, you loved us. Even while they were yet our enemies, even while they talked about us and persecuted us, we loved them nonetheless. Help us to do that. Help us to love those we disagree with. Help us to love those who hate you, to show them the love of Jesus to teach them the gospel. It's in his name we pray. Amen.